Hey, church, how are you? Good to be with everybody here in our worship center, all of you who are joining us in the chapel and everybody that is joining us online. It is a cold day out there, and uh, so glad that uh, those of you who are here made it without, uh, without any kind of damage or anything like that, and glad that we're able to offer the online service so uh, those of you at home can be be safe. Um, let me just encourage you, would you continue to pray for individuals in the life of our church who are struggling with COVID? I know of a, another family that the entire family has it, and uh, I know vaccines are coming, and some of you maybe have already had those, but we want to continue to pray that God will bring healing to individuals in the life of, in the life of our church. And before we go any further, uh, we have a fantastic staff around here, and it would be great sometime for you to meet every single one of them. And on occasion, we have those who have served with us for a long period of time, and uh, they're stepping away into retirement. One of those is Carol McClure. And maybe you don't know Carol McClure. She served with us for 23 years. Would you join me in celebrating, Carol? Her ministry has been in our uh, preschool and nursery area, and uh, so uh, she has seen a lot of babies come through the life of our church. She's been responsible for making sure that all the folks that work with our children have a background check so only folks that are safe can uh, serve with our children. And so we, uh, we're so thankful for her work, and we wish her the very best in the days ahead. Her mother is living with her now. I think her mother's about 90 years old, and she's going to spend time taking care, of, taking care of her. If I were to mention this one name, I'm pretty certain uh, wherever you are, hearing that name arouses different kinds of emotion. And the name is Jesus. Whenever you mention the name Jesus, you can have a wide variety of responses. You can have, you can have militant disbelief in who the person of Jesus Christ is. All you have to do is listen to Bill Maher sometime, ridicule Christians, and talk with amazing uh, disrespect and disbelief to the person of Jesus Christ. And then you can have the other end of the spectrum, mind-blowing devotion. Individuals who are so in love with Jesus Christ, so devoted to him that they have changed the entire trajectory of their life. They've abandoned everything in order to follow him. Not too long ago, there was a kind of a poem or a statement written about Jesus called The Incomparable Christ. I want to just quote a little bit of it to you. He never wrote a book, yet perhaps all the libraries in the world could not hold the books that had been written about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college. But all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students as Christ. He never marshaled an army. He never drafted a soldier. And yet no leader who has had more volunteers who have, under his orders, made more rebels stack arms and surrender without a shot fired. He never practiced psychiatry yet. 
He has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors far and near. His name is Jesus. He's the most familiar person in history, yet in many instances, he is the most unknown. Jesus will not go away. Doesn't matter what people try to do, Jesus is here to stay. And so what we need to do is we need to make sure that we can answer with clarity a question that Jesus posed to his own disciples, and it's found right in the center part of Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 8, 27 through 29. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, and you, he asks us, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Today, we're launching a brand new series called Simply Jesus. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to simply ask a pointed question. Who is this man? Why are we doing it? Because if we don't answer the question right, and if we don't get Jesus right, what chance is it that other people that we talk to about him would even want to bother with him? If we water down the person of Jesus, if we distort the person of Jesus, if we so contemporize the person of Jesus and he doesn't stand out as he truly is, who in their right mind would even want to give themselves in devotion to somebody if we don't present him as he actually is? N.T. Wright's a New Testament scholar. He, he says something really provocative. He says, Jesus, the Jesus we might discover if we really looked, he's writing to Christians, is larger, more disturbing, more urgent than we, the church, had ever imagined. We have successfully managed to hide behind other questions and to avoid the huge world-shaking challenge of Jesus' central claim and achievement. We've reduced the kingdom of God to private piety or personal spirituality. We've reduced the kingdom of God to the victory of the cross, to comfort for the conscience. Easter itself to a happy escapist ending after a sad, dark tale. Piety, conscience, and Ultimate happiness are important, but not nearly as important as Jesus himself. So, all that being said, I simply want to raise the question, who is this man? Who is this man that can arouse either such militant disbelief or mind-blowing devotion? We're going to find out as we start today and go all the way up to Easter, looking at how the gospel of Mark presents Jesus. And so what I want to do for a little bit is give you context. And so this might sound like I'm just doing some teaching, but it's important for you to understand who Mark is 
and uh, why we should pay attention to him. So let me just ask the question. You good with a little teaching for just a minute? Okay. Folks online, you good with that? Show of hands there. Okay. Luke mentioned Mark several times in the book of Acts. There was this budding church in Jerusalem that met in the home of Mark's mother. Mark went on the first missionary journey with uh, Paul and Barnabas, but he went home early and though, and then he eventually traveled with Barnabas to Cyprus to do some more mission work. He became significant late in the life of Paul the apostle, so much so that in Paul's very last uh, letter that he ever wrote, First or Second Timothy, Mark is mentioned and Mark is very dear to Paul. Mark's most significant connection, though, is to the apostle Peter. And this is what New Testament scholars believe. They believe that Peter was the source for the writing of Mark's gospel. And basically what Mark is doing is Mark is putting into a gospel form the recollections that Peter had about the person of Jesus Christ. Mark's mother's house was such a regular place for the early church to meet that when Peter showed up, the servants in the house recognized Peter's voice uh, by name. It appears... Also, that Mark was present when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and when Jesus was betrayed by Judas and arrested by the Roman soldiers. It appears that he was there and we believe that the Last Supper may have been held in the home of Mark's, of Mark's home. We also can, can safely assume that Mark wrote this gospel sometime before the tragic event of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70. So Mark may have been in Rome where Peter was arrested and awaiting his trial and eventually his death, and that Mark wrote the gospel of Mark, the earliest writing of the New Testament prior to the apostle Peter's death. All that being said, whenever you start reading the Gospel of Mark, this is what you need to, to know about it. It's different from Matthew, and it's different from Luke, and it's different from John. Matthew and Luke start with the genealogy of Jesus. John starts with the preexistence of Jesus. Mark just starts off running. He starts off with the life of Jesus Christ. So if you know somebody that's interested in the person of Jesus and they just want to like get at it, they want, they want a hard-hitting, fast-paced narrative, tell them to read the gospel of Mark. But this is what we have to understand. When you start reading the gospel of Mark, Mark will not allow any of us to remain neutral about the person of Jesus Christ. We are confronted time and time again with the truth about who Jesus is, and we're going to have to do something with it. So much so that Mark leaves us all the way through the gospel with questions unanswered that the implication is, what do you think about that? What's your response going to be? How do you deal with this person of Jesus Christ? So, 
Mark's gospel is basically two symmetrical acts. Acts 1, chapters 1 through 8, Mark presents Jesus' identity as the king over all. The second act, chapters 9 through 16, focus on Jesus' purpose in dying on the cross. So much so that Tim Keller wrote a book on the gospel of Mark, and he called it King's Cross, because that's the focus of this particular gospel. All of that being said, if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to get it right now, and I'm going to ask you to turn to the very first chapter in the very first verse, and let me tell you what we're going to do for the rest of the time that we have. We're going to look at one verse which could be considered the entire theme of Mark's gospel, and after we answer four questions, who is this man, we're going to get four steps of application to say this is what we're going to do with about 300 other churches across the world who right now are beginning the process of going through the gospel of Mark as well. So, do you have your Bibles ready? Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's where we're going to part. Within this one verse, Mark helps us see four qualities of the person of Jesus Christ. So, if you are wanting to take notes, here's the question, who is this man? And Mark would tell you, his name means God saves, the Lord is salvation. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus. When, when Karen and I were pregnant with, uh, when Karen was pregnant, I wasn't. When Karen was pregnant with both of our boys, I did eat for her pregnancy, though. Sympathy pains and sympathy eating. When Karen was pregnant with our boys, uh, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out, what are we going to name these kids? And so we had a baby book, and we looked through all of these different names. There are a lot of names in baby books that you can choose from, and a lot of weird names as well kind of like Merle, a lot of weird names in the baby book. And so I remember us looking, trying to find two names that would go together that sounded right with our last name, Meese. And so we spent a lot of time looking through those. My parents didn't spend a lot of time thinking through my name. They said, we've got six children whose names start with M. We need another name that starts with M. Why don't we give this kid a name that nobody could ever make fun of? Let's call him Merle. Not knowing that I grew up as Merle the Pearl, daddy's little girl. <laughs> Not knowing that I was called Squirly Merly, Curly Merly, Girly Merly, I'm glad I married a therapist. <laughs> She's helped me deal with a lot of these things. Jesus was a very common name among Jews throughout the beginning of, um, um, of the second century AD. Very, very common name. And the reason that people spoke of Jesus of Nazareth is because they wanted to make sure and differentiate Jesus from all of the other Jesuses that are out there. And though the name Jesus is his human name, it suggests that in Jesus of Nazareth, God 
has come to us. For God says in Isaiah 43, 11, I, I am the Lord, besides me there is no Savior. Joseph and Mary did not choose the name of Jesus from a book of good Jewish boy names. They were commanded by an angel to name the child that Mary was bearing that was conceived of the Holy Spirit, the name Jesus. Matthew 121, the angel told Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Acts 4.12 says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Who is this man? His name means salvation. God saves. The Lord is salvation. Before you can acknowledge that Jesus is your Savior, something has to happen prior to that. You have to believe and feel that the offense of your sins are against God. To receive Jesus, you have to know without him, you will perish forever. You will be lost for all eternity because lost people are the only ones that Jesus came to save, the only ones Jesus came to find. His name means God saves. But the name Jesus also testifies to his humanity. Jesus was one of us. And let me just walk through a few things that came to my mind when I thought about the humanity of Jesus. Jesus knows what it's like to grow physically and mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. It says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and in favor with men. He knows what it's like to grow up. Jesus knows what it's like to be a single person all of his life. He knows what it's like to work. He knows what it's like to be in a family. He knows what it's like to be in a family that thinks you're crazy. Because on a number of occasions, the family wanted to take Jesus off the public speaking circuit because they thought the claims that he was making was just outlandish. Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood, mistreated, misrepresented. Jesus knows what it's like to pursue a dream. His dream was the coming of the kingdom of God. He gave himself totally to it. He knows what it's like to be tempted. The Bible says he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to pray. He knows what it's like to pray prayers of thanksgiving. He knows what it's like to pray prayers of praise. He knows what it's like to pray prayers of lament in the midst of agony. Jesus knows what it's like to have a loved one die. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. Jesus knows what it's like to feel like you have been forsaken. On the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus knows what it's like to die. Jesus knows what it's like to be us. And if you were ever wondering, is there a God and does this God care, I point you to Jesus. He knows and he cares. Who is this man? His name means God saves. Who is this man? He is the one God promised would come. Look again at verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Now, surprising to some, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ comes from a Greek word, Christos, which means anointed or chosen one. It's the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew term Messiah. Jesus was the human name that his parents gave to him. Christ is a title signifying Jesus was sent from God to be king, to be the deliverer. Jesus Christ means Jesus the anointed one, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the chosen one. Now, in ancient Israel, some, someone was given a position of authority, and when they were given a position of authority, oil was poured on them as a way of signifying that they were different. They anointed their head as a way of saying, you are set apart, you're different, you're chosen for a specific task. It was a symbolic act to indicate God's choosing. Jesus is the anointed one. Hundreds of prophetic passages in the Old Testament that refer to the Messiah who would come to deliver his people. Now, you need to think about something historically for a minute. Six centuries before Jesus came, the Jewish people experienced a feeling as if God had totally abandoned them abandoned the temple. This was when they were sent to Babylon in exile. They eventually came back to Jerusalem. They eventually rebuilt the temple after it was destroyed. But at no point did they sense that God had come to once again live in the temple. If he had, why were the pagans still ruling over the Jewish people? So, the great promises of God's return remain unfulfilled for them. They were still wondering, when is God going to return? When are we going to be delivered? From the very outset of Mark's gospel, he is saying the time of the fulfillment of God coming to deliver, these centuries that you have waited patiently for God to show up and do something, the time has finally arrived. Their belief, though, was that the Messiah was going to come as a political and military leader and reestablish the rule of God and kick out the earthly kings and the pagan nations. But Mark and the other New Testament writers indicate that that's not the kind of deliverer that Jesus was going to come and bring. He was going to bring a better deliverance. What I often find interesting about people like us is that we're always looking for a Messiah. We're always looking for an anointed one. We're always looking for a chosen one, an individual who will come and kick out people that we don't want in power and bring in a new kind of power. We always look for political and military might as our salvation. 
They were doing that back in the day that Jesus showed up. And the gospel writers said, that's not the kind of deliverance that God brings to the world. What God brings is a better deliverance, and that's the deliverance of what it is that keeps us in chains and keeps us defeated. He's come to bring about a deliverance over the penalty of the thing and the power of the thing that is most devastating to us, and that is sin. Jesus has come to deliver us from sin. The title Christ means that God, Jesus is God's anointed one, the one who fulfills the Old Testament prophecies, the chosen Savior who's come to rescue us as sinners, and the King of kings who is coming back to set up his kingdom on earth. The thing I would want you to walk away with is this, God keeps his promises. It may not come in the time that you want. It may not come in the way that you want, but it will always come in keeping with his character and his will, and it will always be best for you. So continue to be patient as you await God fulfilling his word. Who is this man? He's the one who saves. He's the promised one who has come in our midst. Who is this man? He is God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark goes way beyond calling Jesus just the Messiah. He goes way beyond of identifying Jesus as a human being. He goes beyond the popular understanding of his day of who the Messiah would be. He raises the stake to the highest level he can by making this ultimate claim Jesus is God. That is the proclamation of most of the writers of the New Testament. Jesus is God, the Son, the Son of God. He is the heavenly, eternal Son who is equal with God himself. It's a title that is used, as I said, by virtually every New Testament writer. For instance, according to the Apostle John, Jesus is the only one who fully reveals God. That's the reason we say if you want to know who God really is, get to know Jesus because he fully reveals who God is to us. He's the only one that you can trust for eternal life because nobody else has eternal life to offer except him. He's the only one who has the authority to give life, to pronounce eternal judgment, and to rule over all. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about the person of Jesus. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made him the, made the universe through him. The son, drink this in for just a minute. This is a passage that you just, you slowly walk through and you absorb because it is so incredibly powerfully profound. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. Do you hear what the writer of Hebrews is saying? Let me put it like this. Jesus is the exact 
duplicate of the nature of God, making him exactly equal to God in every attribute. Paul said in Colossians 1, 15, Christ is the invisible image, the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Unlike some pseudo-religious groups who say that Jesus became the Son of God when he became a human being. The Bible says, no, Jesus didn't become the Son of God at birth. Jesus has always been the Son of God. Jesus has always been God. Jesus has always been equal with God. So since Jesus is God, he must not be ignored. He must not be treated with apathy. He must not be treated lightly. If Jesus is who he says he is, then he is the one who rightfully rules the lives of all individuals. Who is this man? One final answer. He is good news. He is good news. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Back when Mark wrote the gospel, they had, the Roman Empire had leaders known as Caesar. Caesars issued proclamations called good news whenever they ascended to the throne or whenever they had a birthday or whenever they celebrated a victory. When Mark says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ if he was writing initially to a Roman audience, this would have been a radical, threatening statement to make about another person. What Mark is basically saying is this, the true king, the true God, the one who truly is good news is not Caesar, it's Jesus. And I would tell you the same thing. The good news is not any human being or any political power or any military might or any socially acceptable trend. The good news is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is good news. The actual word gospel, it means good news that is announced, something that has already taken place an event that has happened in the past. What makes Christianity different from other religious messages and self-help gurus is that Christianity doesn't offer good advice to be followed. Christianity offers good news of something that has been done. The good news is this. You and I are so lost and so broken that we can't do anything to get found and we can't do anything to fix our brokenness. But God can and God did in the person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, God brings good to, news to us and says, listen, I have found you and I can fix you. Think about it a little bit differently. In order for God 
to save us, to fix us, to heal us. Jesus had to do that as a man. He lived an ordinary life. He distinguished, he was distinguished only in the fact that he never sinned. He kept all of God's laws, both internally and externally. Having done so, he transferred all of the credit of that obedience to those who love and who trust him. In addition to giving us credit for the life that he lived, Jesus went further and took upon himself the punishment and the sin that was never due him but was was due us the guilt, the punishment for sin that we committed, Jesus took upon himself. We are forgiven because Jesus was forsaken. We are accepted because Jesus was condemned. And when he rose from the dead, he decisively demonstrated that death had no hold on him, that Satan and hell had no hold on him, And he's saying to those of us who trust him, the same is true of you. Sin, death, Satan, and hell no longer have hold on those who have trusted their life to Jesus Christ. I love the way Tim Keller puts it. The gospel is this. You are more sinful than you could ever dare imagine, and you are more loved than you could, loved and accepted that you could ever dare to hope for all at the same time. And my question is, what have you done with this man? Have you received the good news? Are you acknowledging that he is God? Do you faithfully wait on God to fulfill his promises? Do you look to Jesus and only Jesus as the one who will save you? And if you've not done so, I invite you to do that right now. Some great news happened in the life of our church on Wednesday night. The same kind of offer was extended to our middle schoolers, and 21 of them stepped across the line of faith and said, yes, I put my trust in Jesus Christ. And I would simply ask you, I would ask you this question, whether you're in the chapel, in the worship center, or you are watching from home, is there a point in time in your life that you have stepped across the line of faith and you have received Jesus Christ? I can't think of a better day to do it than right now. You simply... Make the exchange of your guilt for God's forgiveness, of your despair for the hope that comes to us in Jesus Christ, from your separation from God for acceptance with God by placing your trust in Christ. I invite you to do that right now, just with a simple prayer. And when you've done that online, would you just let us know? We have folks that are there, and they'll be willing to provide you some information on your next steps. And if you've done it here in the worship center, if you'll talk to one of us on staff, you'll come out into the next step center. We'll be glad to help you on your journey. Now, let me talk about some practical things about what we're going to be doing in the days ahead. We're joining with 300 other churches, some in uh, Singapore, some in uh, Africa, uh, many of them in Kansas City. And what we're going to do for this time frame until Easter is that we're all going to be immersed in the gospel of Mark together. And we're all going to be studying the life of Jesus together. And we're going to invite others to join us in, a, in, a, in maybe a different kind of way. So let me give you four ways that you can step in actively over the next several weeks. 
You can read and listen to the Gospels of Matthew, Luke, and John in your native language. There are over 65 languages in the Kansas City area. It's like the mission field has come to us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to invite folks to join and read together. And there is a, uh, an app that you can get. It's called the Bible Is app. Invite you, if you have your phone with you right now, go to your uh, uh, Google Play or to uh, whatever the Apple thing is and, uh, and download the Bible.is because we're going to be doing this together. You'll be able to follow one 2021 in this listening plan. So you got it? The Bible dot is. That is what you're going to download. Next thing we're going to invite you to do is we're going to invite you to, to pray. And we'd love to have people from churches all around Kansas City join in praying for a specific period of time. For instance, I signed up to pray every Monday morning at 6 to 6.15, and I'm going to be joining other folks, and we're just going to be praying for Kansas City. Our prayer is that 3,000 people in Kansas City over the next seven weeks will say yes to Jesus, and that's what we're praying for. And so, invite you to go to 1kc.bible slash 24-7-prayer. We're leaving it up there for you. It'll all be online as well. And if you'd like to be a part of the prayer initiative, we'd love for you to, we'd love for you to pray. Third thing that you can do is you can watch. We're going to gather with friends in watching groups. We'll either do it by Zoom or we'll do it in our homes where we can be socially distanced from one another. We'll do it in the building here where we can do it. We'll gather, and once a week, what we're going to do is we're going to watch a video portrayal of Mark's gospel in the native heart language. Again, uh, we're working with a group, Faith Comes By Hearing. It has 1,500 languages there, so people of all different kinds of languages can listen to the gospel of Mark, can watch the gospel of Mark. And so let me just give you a sample of what it is that you will be able to, uh, you'll be able to, to do. So take a look at this video. beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So that's just a sampling, and what's going to happen is we'll gather together in groups, we'll watch that, and then we will have a series of questions that we're going to ask just based upon the scripture itself. And the point is allowing the Holy Spirit and the Bible to come together to inspire people to give consideration to who the person of Jesus is, and this is going to be a great way, a great way to do it. Fourth thing, 
Simply invite somebody. Simply invite somebody to join you in the reading plan, to join you in a watch group. Here's what I know. Eight of ten people say they're willing to participate in an experience if a friend asks them. Did you hear that? Eight out of ten people said they'll, they'll join an experience if a friend asks them to do so. But only 2% of people ever ask those in their circle of influence to join them in a Bible engagement experience. If the majority of people say, I'd be willing to, but the majority of us don't invite, think of what folks are missing out on. So listen, if I were in sales, this is a great percentage. To get that many yeses is absolutely awesome. So what if we just simply invited some folks to say, hey, would you be willing to do this experiment with me from now to Easter time? We're going to gather together and we're going to look at the, this video and we're going to listen to the gospel of Mark being read and then we're just going to have some questions and we're going to talk about that. Who is this man? This is a man whose very existence is to not only please God, but to transform us. This is a man that will not go away. This is a man that is here to stay. This is the one who has absolutely changed the trajectory of human history. And if you'll put your faith and trust in him, he can change the trajectory of your history as well. Let's pray. Simply Jesus is the one we seek. We know that Jesus, you are not, you're not simple. We know that you're not a simple ton. But we know that you offer us a simple invitation, and that is just to follow you, to walk with you, to learn from you, to keep in step with you and to experience all that you have to offer to us, which is life here and now, life that is abundant, and life that will never end. And God, my prayer is that what we will experience in the life of our church in the weeks ahead will be absolutely transformative. And I pray once again that people this day will be captivated by the person of Jesus, who has come to save, who knows what it is like to be one of us, who is the fulfillment of your promise, who is God in our midst, and who is the ultimate bringer of good news. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said together with me, amen.